Hey everyone, welcome back to Should I Call a Therapist? This is Jane Margaret. Yesterday on the family phone call, my mother, my dad, my sister, and I are on the call. And that's how every Sunday's family phone call goes. I do have a brother, my brother's still here, but he chooses to have his own call. And as the story unfolds and as you get to know us better, you'll realize he dances to his own beat, which we all respect. No one cares. My poor parents are on the telephone all day long, but that's okay. So on Sundays, we typically call, my sister and I call, I call my sister first, then she and I call my parents together. And then my parents are in the same house, so they each pick up their own landline. They still use a landline, so they pick up their own each one has their own receiver. My dad's in the bedroom. My mother's in the living room. And they always act shocked and surprised that we've called. Oh, oh, well, hello. Hello. Oh, oh, is it Sunday? And then um, Phil, pick up the phone. And she goes on into hysterics. I don't know where he is. They live in an 800 square foot apartment. So I don't know why she doesn't know where he is or what he's doing. But Anyway, every single Sunday, it's the same thing. Every single Sunday, I call, and then when, so my mother answers the phone every single time, and says hello, and I say hello, and then I have to press add a call on my phone to then connect all of the people together. So it's me, my sister, and then my parents in one house. So to connect all of that, you have to press add a call, and then it's all done. There's a smidge of a lag time in there. And during that time, my mother is saying, my mother's saying over and over again, hello, 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 <laughs> over and over. So this is every single Sunday. And these phone calls have been going on since 2015. <laughs> so every 52 weeks and 20, so 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, seven years, 52 weeks. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many that is. I don't have math down that well, but it was so funny. Every hello, hello, hello. So then we all finally get connected. Are you on? Are you on? Who's on? Who's on today? It's always the same people. This is every single week. So when I we usually talk, for sure we talk an hour. We usually talk, uh, we usually are on the phone for about an hour and a half. Sometimes it even goes longer than that, but it's it's really long. And so they, um, it's always the, the same beginnings, all of that. And it ends up being kind of the same players too. We kind of have the same topics. We go through the same things. And, I mean, my, our parents are in their early 80s. You, When you're speaking to people in their early 80s, it's a lot of walks down memory lane. Um, just a lot of the same stuff. But they thoroughly enjoy the call. And one day when I know you better, I'll explain why we have the call, how the call came about. But it's not really important right now. What is funny about right now, and and... Um, I don't think I already said this, but my brother is not on the call. He does his own call at his own time. Maybe I already just said that. I'm not sure. But anyway, um, so my parents are on the telephone all day. They go to church in the morning, and then they're on the phone all day long um, taking fielding our phone calls. <laughs> and on, So that's the only day of the week I call 
So I only catch up with them on Sundays. Sometimes my sister calls during the week. I know my brother only calls on the one time a week. And he's not religious about calling every single um, week. So it just depends. Anyway, um, so we are on the phone. I block out my schedule. We all do. I mean, we all block out our schedules. And if I have company in town or if you know, we have people staying over, then they just know, oh, Jane has her family phone call. She can't participate. If they, if maybe my husband will take them all to brunch or if they all have activities to go do, maybe go for a run or whatever, I stay home and take the call. We used to miss a lot. Um, my sister and I would be, oh, I'm out of town or oh, I'm doing this. But then we started to get such, a, <laughs> we started to get such active lives that I mean, we were going to miss every single week if we kept up with that. So finally, we just have stuck with it. Somehow we work around it. And that's the call. Um, Every single time when we hang up, then throughout the day, well, for sure, when I come back downstairs, then my husband will say, how was the call? Great. This is every single time. How was the call? Great. Anything exciting with the family? No. What did y'all talk about? It was just the same old stuff, nothing, every single time. And he's always like, come on, every time you have wild tales. The the, the craziest stuff comes up on these calls. And it's probably just my perception of the call, because it's probably a boring call, but my perception of it is always so funny that then he's right. Throughout the day, then I'll remember something funny that happened on the call, and I'll be like, you won't believe what my mother said. And then it comes out. So yesterday, I hang up from the call, come downstairs. How was the call? Great. How's your family? Good. Anything new and exciting with them? No. Mm-mm. What did y'all cover? He's trying to really ask all the questions to try to get it out faster instead of waiting till much later in the day to finally hear. And I'm, oh, nothing, nothing. No, mm-mm, not this time. There was nothing that happened this time. Oh, okay. So then we go about our day, and later on in the evening, I said, oh, you won't believe what happened on the family phone call. So then we have to pause whatever we're watching, stop the day, and then I cover it. And he always looks at me like, how come you couldn't come up with this five hours ago? I don't know, but it just dawned on me. So yesterday, on yesterday's call, my parents are telling us about these women that came over my dad had been on the board of directors of some um of a a foundation and he had there were you know however many people were sitting on the board men and women these particular women there's two women who wanted to congratulate someone else from the board so my dad runs into one of obviously I wasn't listening real well because now I'm trying to retell it to you and I'm thinking what happened but I know it I do know what happened two years ago during COVID they wanted to congratulate uh, my dad ran into one of the ladies from the board in the grocery store and she said oh I've been meaning to congratulate this particular person on something fabulous that they did 
And so my dad said, oh, well, maybe we should send flowers. And she said, yes, that is what we'll do. For the, the whole rest of the board, we'll collect money, we'll send a beautiful bouquet, and that'll be great. So my dad opens his wallet, and he has a $100 bill in his wallet. And so he takes it out, and he hands it to the lady. This is in the middle of the grocery store two years ago. And says, here, here's $100. This is um, from me. If it, you know, use it. If you don't use it, whatever. Here it is. Excellent. Thank you. So then she goes, she calls a few other people. A few other people say, no, that isn't how we're going to do it. Flowers are stupid. No. So she says, um, we need to just write a text. We don't send flowers to congratulate someone for this, for whatever it was. They said, the flowers are overboard. All you need to do is send a text. Um, from, we were all talking and we're all just so proud of you. And so the lady does that, never sends the flowers. And then for the next two years, keeps telling my dad on the phone, we've got to go to dinner because I have your $100. My dad's like, okay, great. These are not people that he's ever dined with before. So, and he doesn't really know him. He's just on this board with them. So, I mean, that isn't a friendship. It's just a coincidence. So anyway, they go through COVID. Oh, then she says, I'm going to come to the apartment. I want to bring your $100 and we can go to, um, the group of us can go to dinner. My dad said, well, it's COVID. Coronavirus is right now. My Mary's never going to let you in here. So not now. So this goes on and on and on. Every time she's trying to make a plan, he somehow figures it out. And he's trying to think of, first of all, if he loses the hundred, it's not going to be a big thing to him second of all why doesn't she just put it in the mail and mail it to him and third like just let's get this over with so it finally comes to the day where they're gonna do dinner and they make the plan they're gonna come down to my parents apartment it's three women they're gonna come to my parents apartment then go to dinner from there so um they get it this is this past thursday they get downtown, they have a glass of wine, and my mother's there too. They're going to have a glass of wine with her, and they've never met her, so they're going to say hello to her, and then after they have, you know, a couple sips, then they're going to go to a restaurant for dinner. My dad's made a reservation. So they have their first glass of wine, then he's going around to refill their glasses, and he gets to one, and she says, no, thank you, I'm fine. And then he gets to the next one, and she says, oh, wonderful. So she takes a glass, or he pours, you know, wine in the glass. And they have maybe 10, 15 more minutes to chat. And then he looks at his watch, and he says, oh, we need to go. We've got to get going to our reservation if we're going to walk over there. So they stand up, and these are women in my parents' apartment who my mother has never met. They are not friends of our family. They're not people. And my dad barely knows them too. They are, I'm, I'm trying to make this as clear as possible that they do not know them. My dad has sat on a board with them. So they have commonalities. They have similar interests, whatever the board is. But these are not people that they have ever had in their apartment before. And my mom has never met them. So one says, no, thank you. I don't no glass the second one says thank you she drinks a little bit of hers and my dad says it's time to go to the um dinner reservation that woman stands up <laughs> that woman stands up and puts the remaining contents 
of her wine glass in my mother's glass that she was currently drinking. Like, she had wine in her glass. And that woman fills my mom's glass to the brim with her remaining kind They don't know each other. And when my mother is telling us the story yesterday on the Sunday phone call, she almost sounded apologetic that she was perplexed. She said, when she started the story, she said, maybe it's just me and maybe I'm a germaphobe, but let me tell you what happened and you tell me what you think. We were dying. My sister and I were both like, ooh, gross. No, uh-uh, no way. Is that okay? And I said, I am very good friends with Lindsay. And if Lindsay, if we were in this exact situation, Lindsay would not pour the contents of her glass into mine. I don't drink after Lindsay. I don't know. Uh-uh. I wouldn't even want... I mean, my sister, I wouldn't want my sister to empty the contents of her glass into mine because she couldn't finish it. I mean, no way. So crazy. But my mom was super apologetic and it did get me thinking like, do we get shamed so much in being hard or, or um, I don't even know the right word, but I mean, we wonder why she felt the need to apologize. I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question. I, I think it's rhetorical because I don't think we'd be able to answer it right now. But uh, and it's probably uh, where I'm going with this. And what I almost think is that as women, I wonder if we. Uh, I truly do believe that we apologize more than we need to. So I wonder if that's one of those instances where she's like, "I'm sorry." But these strangers <laughs> did not handle themselves with with uh, the, the way I would want them to. But anyway, so wild. I just can't get over it. I just wonder, what would you do? What would you do? And I mean, also the other part is, <laughs> if you've met my mother, she wears her, um, she wears her reactions on her sleeve. So I'm sure her eyes were as big as saucers. <laughs> And I'm sure she was, I'm sure she was just dying. Uh, oh, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I'm sure. Or what? Uh, who knows what she said. And then she told us that they just set their empty glasses down on the coffee table and walked out the front door. Didn't walk them to the kitchen or anything. And I mean, I just told you it's an 800 square foot apartment. They, the kitchen's right there. So they could have walked them right to the sink and dropped them on the drain board or something. So wild. So anyway, that's what happened on the Sunday phone call. I can't think of anything else that was really covered. Of course, when I press stop recording, then I will remember what was covered. But right now, I can't think of anything else that was covered. It is, it's a fun time. I think... Oh, I know. They need new furniture. They keep getting new furniture in their apartment, but they're just situating it all wrong. And I kind of feel sorry for them. They sold their house. My parents sold their house in 2006. So that was a heyday real estate market back then. And they had bought their house. My parents purchased the home in 1969. And they did owner carry financing. So um, Mr. Allen was their landlord, and Mr. Allen was 
carrying the note. They did not have a note from the bank. And I can't remember exactly how much they paid, but I think it was $25,000. Pretty sure my parents paid $25,000 for their house in 1969. And um, when they sold it, they sold it for obviously an excess of that. And for, I mean, it had been paid off forever. That poor Mr. Allen had to call them. Not every single month, but often. Maybe every other month, Mr. Allen would call the house. And we had, obviously, one phone number, one phone. And, you know, this was back in the landline days. And so one of us, my sister, brother, or I, would answer the telephone. And Mr. Allen would be on the phone, and you knew it. Is your father home? Uh, Yes, hold, please. And then we'd have to go get him. They'd have to tell him that the check was in the mail. And then we would, um, that's how they paid their rent. So... He would have to chase them down. And, I mean, obviously, people that are doing an owner-carry mortgage are um, probably people that are going to be chased down for the money. <laughs> anyway, they got it paid off. Eventually, I think he relinquished the loan, and they they did end up getting a um, mortgage through the bank. And that's how they ended up paying. They paid it off. So they paid it off with him, but then also they paid off the mortgage. And then when they sold their house in 2006... Um, they made a pretty penny. It was very nice. And um, they moved downtown to an apartment, which was, I mean, painstaking. My poor sister. I already lived in Colorado, and my sister lived in Houston. My sister had to help them. She didn't pack everything, but she did go. And um, my dad had beautiful potted plants, you know, beautiful terracotta pots and big, lush plants that he'd taken care of for years and years and years and so my sister had a house and she went and uh, I mean that's a whole nother story we'll have her on sometime and she can tell that story because she went and they rented a Penske truck and she and my dad loaded it I mean heavy heavy plants and then she was gonna drive the giant truck and I mean they required it required a giant truck because the plants were huge and you couldn't bend them or break them I mean that would be terrible so um, very carefully, they got him into the truck. Then they lost the keys to the truck. And I don't even know what happened. That's, that's her story to tell, but oh my gosh, just crazy. So she has a million tales to tell, but she then drove it back to Houston. Then she knew of this particular corner where people would stand looking for work. And so she um, went to that corner, picked up someone for you know 20 bucks an hour or whatever it was that she was going to pay them drove them in the Penske truck to her house they unloaded he helped that person helped her unload the pots and get them into place at her house then she had to drive him back to that corner and let him go and pay him the cash so pretty I mean pretty ingenious first of all he wanted the work the person on the corner wanted the work but second of all I'm so happy that she had someone to help her because that was back-breaking work Anyway, so my parents have lived in this apartment downtown. They, the, the intention was to live there one year. They were going to move out of their house that they had lived in since 1969 to 2006. And then they were going to buy a house in this. They had picked out, my dad picked out this street in the south side of downtown uh, in San Antonio um, called Rishi Street. 
and he would drive down and he'd see this house and that house and in disrepair and so he thought okay we're going to take our you know a portion of our money and we are going to buy a house on rishi street and then redo it and live beautifully for the rest of our lives and it sounded like a wonderful idea and every time he'd drive a family member (laughs) not my sister and i because my sister and i have imagination and um understand the value of real estate and all that good stuff but i mean my brother (laughs) and aunts and uncles he would drive them down the street here it is here's rishi street and all of them be like what are you thinking no 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 but my sister and i really did get the romance of it and we got it my mother did not want to do it the more he drove down rishi street the more he kept seeing cars in the street and dogs barking and he did wonder how am i going to get a house that doesn't have dogs barking in the chain link fence or cars parked all in front of my house because those were in two those two things were intolerable what i mean they'd be intolerable to a lot of people but they were especially intolerable to him so he thought i can't control this i don't know what i'm gonna do then he started to realize that rishi street the peep the peep the owners on rishi street the current owners on rishi street knew what they had because the plan was <laughs> our plans are always so much so much um more simple than reality and i don't i don't know that any of us are super rooted in reality when it comes to some of our ideas because the idea was that my dad was gonna, <laughs> my dad's gonna drive me i lived in colorado but i was gonna come in town we were gonna pick a house and we were going to figure out the value. But let's just say we were going to give them $100,000. So my dad and I were going to drive down there. We were going to get out of the car, but he was going to stand back towards the street. And I was going to walk up to the door and knock on the door and then say, Hello, um, we would like to purchase your home. Uh, my home's not for sale. I know, but I have $100,000. And somehow this was going to just dazzle these people into just packing up and moving. And we were going to give them their 100000 And we were going to be off to the races. And they were going to be out. <clears throat> I don't know where they were going to go. I mean, this is gentrification at its finest, people. Because we, I mean, had no, yeah, well, that's what we're going to do. We you are lucky enough to have us knock on your door and we are going to move into this house. Anyway, I think reality set in and we realized these people want $250,000 for their house, cash for keys, and no one's just leaving for a hundred. Like you can't steal someone's home from them. They all know what they have. So my parents are still, so they moved in the apartment though. This is where I was going. They moved in this downtown apartment, 800 square feet. The house that we lived in was three bedroom, one bath. Seventeen, I think it was 1,700 to 1,800 square feet. So then my parents sell everything. I mean, they sold the piano. They got rid of, they got rid of so much and ended up with a one bedroom apartment, 800 square feet. One bedroom, one bath. But they thought, okay, it's one year. We're going to have the adventure of living downtown, a real New York City, wonderful, you know, existence. We're going to find a grocery store, you know, all the stuff that you romanticize about living downtown. That's what we're going to do. They got there 
did not end up buying their house on Rishi Street. In fact, their money sat in the bank and they couldn't dream of parting with a penny of it. They kept watching the total and the totals, it was literally just in the bank. It was not in any um, money-making um, account. I can't even think of any of the words because I don't have the brain around finances like that, but it wasn't invested in any way, shape, or form. So this money was just sitting there, but they kept watching it, and the total never changed. And that was a delight to them because, um, I mean, we're people that came from modest, modest means to then my parents had this money, and they had to figure out how to live on that for the rest of their lives. At this point, they're in their 70s, you know, during these times of making these decisions and um we have a lot of longevity in our family we have pretty healthy genes but you don't know what could happen you never know what could happen and you've got to plan for the worst you know expect the worst and hope for the best so that's kind of how we've always been and yes you know medicare was going to set in and or maybe the medicare had already set in but then you just have to pay for everything obviously life is not free so my parents knew this and they don't rely on my brother and sister and i to do anything for them we're a fully all five of us are taught to be self-sufficient so everybody knows how to take care of themselves that being said they needed to figure this out they are still in that downtown apartment they are still in that downtown apartment. Now, one thing that did happen, didn't plan on taking you here today, but I guess I will. One thing that did happen was, so after my divorce, I was single for a long time. And then I was finally ready to date and I ended up getting um, skin cancer on my forehead. And had to have a skin graft. I did the Mohs surgery it was a carcinoma and so i had to have the mose surgery they did three rounds of that and i don't know if you know what mose is it's m-a-o-h m-a-o-h m-o-h-s i think i'm pretty pretty well versed in the mose huh anyway so i um have fabulous uh dermatologist in colorado in Denver and so they called me on my actual birthday and said okay this has come back you have got to um, get this handled it had taken me forever to get to the dermatologist because at that time when I was working I um, the whole year prior to this in 2014 the whole year prior to that I was I had that health insurance for real healthy people so it was through work but it was the high deductible, low monthly. I can't remember what that's called. But anyway, I call it the healthy person's insurance. I think I had a $3,000 deductible or something like that. So I was scared to go to the dermatologist. I knew I had this place on my forehead, but I was scared to go to the dermatologist because I knew I didn't have $3,000 to cover a procedure. So then the in November, we made our new healthcare elections. I changed to the very robust health insurance where I had to pay more per month out of my paycheck, but my deductible was like $500 or something. It's real. I still have it today, but whatever it was, is much better health insurance. And so then I went to the dermatologist, had to get skin graft. 
then um, I just, it was on my forehead. So then I had to change my, it messed up my whole hairline. So then I had to change my hairstyle. I had to part from the other side, all this stuff. And I feel like there was psychological, um, psychological like damage, not damage. What would we call that? Psychological concerns that I had because everything was going so great and I was really getting things together and I was ready to date. And then all of a sudden I couldn't because I, um, had this happen. It was like a setback. So anyway, 2015 then was a bust for dating. 2016, I decided, no, I am ready. I am going to date. So I meet this guy and I'm telling it the fast way because right this second, I'm not super interested in the story. I'll probably come back to the story when I tell you about Run Club. But anyway, I was at Run Club one week, met this guy, and he was a financial planner. I didn't know that when I met him, but anyway, I went on a few dates with him. I dated him for a couple months and maybe three months, I don't know. But in the process of dating him and him being a financial planner, my parents latched onto it. They didn't meet him because we were in Colorado. And he and I weren't extremely serious by any means. But um, he was a financial planner. And I would ask him questions. My parents were starting to get. So this is 10 years that their money has just been sitting in the bank, earning nothing. It's just sitting there. And it was concerning to them that they were still in their apartment. This money is not earning anything. And what do we do for our future? So I started asking him a million questions on their behalf. And finally, we established, hey, maybe you should just call my parents. So he thought, okay, I'll call your parents. So he ends up getting on the phone with them. And he ends up being their financial planner. And this has worked out real. It's such a weird. This is how the the twist of twist of fate i don't know what the exact right term is um but there was not a relation i today i would call him the louse like i just don't like him i just don't it was a great dating practice for me and like i can think of a million great things that happened but also like he wasn't a nice guy and I think he probably did me dirty and I'm pretty sure he knows it today. But what did come out of it was my parents got their money completely invested and now they're in such great shape for their future. And they, they put it in an annuity and it has worked out so well. And I'm not going to get into super specifics about that, but they get a monthly stipend and it has, I mean, they, they are comfortable in their old age but they're still in their apartment. That's how all this, got. I was just like, how did all this come up? But it was because they're still in their apartment and on the family phone call yesterday, we were talking about furniture and they keep trying to, so now they've been there, gosh, since 2006. So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22. So they've been there 16 years in this little apartment where they brought their furniture from their house. It, it was too much furniture. Anyway, they revamped. And they're working on getting this furniture in place because we're all coming for Christmas. We go for Christmas every single year. But now they're kind of wondering, where's everyone going to sit? So, 
That is the longest way around telling you about the family phone call yesterday. So anyway, that's what's happening. That's what's going on. I hope all of y'all are doing great. And I, I just don't find, I don't find that today's question really begs, you know, should I call a therapist? Maybe y'all should call a therapist for listening, but <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I will talk to y'all later in the week. I hope you have a fantastic week and we'll chat soon. Take care. Bye.